All right, good morning and welcome to Web3 Wednesdays, where we chat through some of the complex and nuanced topics in crypto and Web3 at large so that you can stay ahead of the curve. So today I am joined by Sarah Toby of Yield Guild Games, colloquially known as YGG, which is arguably the largest Web3 gaming guild in the world with tens of thousands of players spanning across a myriad of games and a huge portfolio of partners and acquired assets to boot. So YGG was instrumental in creating the very first wave of massive play-to-earn movements, starting with the rise of Axie Infinity, and they remain at the forefront of the space as a Web3 gaming continues to evolve. So Sarah Toby here is the head of partnerships at YGG, and he sits at the cutting edge of both guild and gaming development, bringing to the table more Web3 gaming experience than almost anyone else in the space today. And we're keen to hear his takes on lessons learned in building guilds, their place within the broader Web3 ecosystem, and where gaming goes from here. So Sarah Toby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. Great to, great to be on the show. All right. Well, so for those unfamiliar, could you give a brief one minute intro or so, you know, on YGG and your personal involvement at large, you know, within Web3 Gaming? Because I understand you've been involved with guilds for ages at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So as you've said, you know, I think YGG is the kind of premier play to earn blockchain gaming guild. We have been around since the inception, I think with the first that has kind of tokenized and, and and launched and we've had a huge amount of success in that regard we're definitely one of the most well connected guilds in the space and have a very broad portfolio of extremely uh, high profile games um we kind of came out of the axie community quite predominantly um and for a while we we're almost certainly the largest axie infinity guild uh, in existence we had a huge amount of success in that regard and from there we decided to start making um you know, more, you know, get more exposure to new and exciting gaming projects and infrastructure plays. Um, and we've obviously grown quite extensively now kind of covering like the YGG core as the primary DAO and then having the, all the sub DAOs beneath us, some of which are kind of focused on specific geographical areas and some which might be focused on games specifically as well. Um, my role in, in YGG is as head of partnerships I work very closely with uh, upcoming game projects, kind of analyzing their economies, looking at how they're designed, um, seeing whether they'd be a good fit for the guild model. Um, then afterwards, after we've made the decision to acquire assets or have some involvement with the gaming project, you know, I'd often be involved on an ongoing basis in terms of, you know, looking at how the continuing to be involved in how things are designed, you know, how they're, you know, what they're doing. We obviously do a lot of, um, events as well like amas and community orientated events which i often take part in as well so there's a kind of this ongoing relationship uh, component as well to what i do but obviously there's a huge scope of different types of um, projects that want to partner with ygg across a whole range of different uh, kind of product categories so i get i'm quite lucky in that like and you of which are one sam you know so i've had the the joy of speaking to you quite a few times in relation to the guild tooling product capital DAO, for example so you know in that in that sense then um i'm quite lucky in that like the the acquisitions team of ygg you know is primarily is looking at a lot of games but i, I from a partnerships angle i get the opportunity to actually look at sometimes an even broader spectrum of of projects which is uh, an extremely interesting thing for me and has been like yeah as you've mentioned like hugely educational over the last few months to see like this space just absolutely explode with different takes on 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 what on, on and how to position a project 
I love that. Yeah. And, you know, YGG within the space to date uh, and the impact that it's had has been uh, substantial. Right. And we've had a ton of fun working with you on the yield infrastructure project to that degree. And I think, you know, kind of getting to this idea of, you know, value that you guys provide to games and broader ecosystem partners, et cetera. You know, there are a ton of these hyper vocal Twitter warriors that come out and they bash guilds as being, you know, purely value extractive vehicles. They enter games, decimate economies, leave none standing. How do you see that situation? You know, do you agree with them to what extent how do you kind of sit there yeah i mean i think this is a it's, it's an understandable point to make you know but i think guilds are hugely important for the games that i speak to many of the projects that we've been involved with are hugely grateful for our involvement in terms of obviously the financial commitments that we make the time commitments that we make in terms of you know i think ygg i can't speak for necessarily every single guild in the space but ygg especially we take a hugely vested interest in working with the game projects we partner with which includes like i said consulting and advising on the you know how the token economies are designed how the game mechanics works how the games are designed to support guilds um obviously you know some economic models you, you know when you have like extraction occurring don't hold up to this and i think one of the reasons for that is that games haven't necessarily been able to attract value additive players or haven't been able to design their economies in such a robust way that if value extraction is occurring to kind of like stem this kind of downward trend it's, it is an extremely challenging thing to build i mean building video games is challenging on its own and then building games with like functional economies on top of that where there is the ability to take something out um it is really challenging because if if you have the ability to take something out of an economy then you you, you will see these uh people who want to take profit from these opportunities occur you know so i think that guilds provide a whole range of different values in terms of like the player base obviously that come into those games but obviously it's easy to see how there's a kind of positives and negatives about those players because i think that's where it's the guild's responsibility in some and this is a, a evolving thing of how as guilds we do have a responsibility to try and ensure that our players are value additive within game economies um and i think that as our infrastructure improves and maybe this is even something where like capital DAO could maybe come in and, and play some kind of role there potentially or other tools as well which i'm aware of in the space to be able to identify who the most value additive players are within specific games i mean i think it is actually quite often the game's responsibility to try and implement structures in which uh rewards are aligned with people that are you know performing certain actions and i think you know we're still at such an early stage of the of the game with with kind of blockchain gaming um that we are going to see some economies collapse um it is it is a valid uh criticism i think the guilds as a whole do need to kind of work on this um but i think the guild model is quickly evolving into many other different value adds um areas and also of course things like esports content creation um sometimes incorporating like more tech stack on top of what they're doing also kind of looking at like the user base um we're, we're seeing a move away from like guilds as just like a kind of glorified scholarship um to to guilds being like 
uh, homes for collaboration because if we look at many of the games that are currently in development in, in the space, many of them are going to require like mass collaboration. And, you know, sometimes the kind of earning piece of some of these games isn't going to be huge. And the kind of big challenge there is like as guilds, how will they have a meaningful role in like putting people in these environments in a way that kind of still makes sense for the guild and still makes sense for the game and still makes sense for the players. But I definitely yeah. think the role of the guild is, is, is evolving into something that's very valuable to games. But obviously, you know, uh, if we look at some games, the way that they're designed, unfortunately, it's often the kind of the game's economy that's this week in, in some of these instances. 100%. Yeah. And I, I I think we align quite well on that across the board because, you know, from my perspective, obviously guilds being the largest players sometimes outright in some of these games, you know, basically held by a single entity, uh, you, you have a massive sway over the, the economic uh, implications of, you know, whatever you've carried out. And so it is obviously in the guild's responsibility to make sure that they're careful with the economy. They don't inadvertently dump things because you can obviously carry out some pretty crazy financial machinations there. But I, I do think that a pretty strong case can be made that it's really on the game's, uh, you know, responsibility here to make sure that they are robust because at the end of the day a guild is just bringing in a ton of players and a ton of capital which in my opinion is exactly what a game should want that's like what you should be looking for is a ton of players and a ton of capital so it's it's exciting to me to kind of see games evolve into a position where they can handle that level of volume versus you know some of these really early play to earn type games that just couldn't handle and collapsed under that level of pressure for sure. And I mean, I, I think that like it's important not to, you know, some of these collapsed economies could eventually revitalize. I mean, if we if we look at like real world economies, sometimes they crash and sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. You know, so we it remains to be seen how, you know, some of these uh, economies will fare over kind of a longer time horizon. Um, I definitely think that. Um, you know, it's 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 extremely interesting to see how these uh, economies are developing, and you know, guilds. I, I mean, speaking for YGG specifically, uh, I think we have a track record of 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 being quite uh, responsible with regards to our assets. I mean, in Axie in particular, like we have like been extremely good, and I don't think we've like sold hardly any assets in that regard, um, and have been hugely supportive of the you know, Axie economy. And, you know, nice. I do actually have a big belief of, um, you know, of both Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis's whole ecosystem having a, a potentially very bright future ahead of it. Nice. Yeah. And I, I, I like this kind of angle of, you know, guilds in, in some capacity can be outright very supportive of economies. And I think an interesting question, you know, when new games launch that you guys have supported or you are participating in, you know, either behind the scenes or, or outright publicly, you know, have you noticed any substantial difference in user acquisition velocity, right? When you guys take a role in that game deploying, have you seen, you know, a substantial change between those games versus other games that basically deploy without guild support? Um, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I think it depends on the nature of the game. I mean, you know, some and it's also about how the game is designed as well. Because if we look at some games um, now that you know that that are free to play either in the browser or mobile, you know, user acquisition can be. Uh, fairly straightforward for them but is it the right users though and and what what how are those users you know 
uh, you know, are those users valuable for the for the game in question? I think that as you know, if you look at the kind of people that make up play to earn blockchain gaming guilds, many are you know slightly more adept on the Web three side of things. You know, they've really been kind of trained up. They often you know, are aware of how to spin up wallets, and you know, some of the players I think coming into these newer games, some of which you know, I, I don't think guilds are like a complete and utter must have necessity but at the same time i think that within certain games they're going to be hugely valuable for sure yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and we're, we're starting to see games you know develop uh that are building in guild specific features right so methods by which Absolutely. you know if you're a guild you own a castle you can label your castle you can place advertisements etc things like that and i think that's that's going to drive some really neat social engagement interactions here over the next you know two years or so um and I think, you know, kind of even thinking about this industry moving forward, play to earn, that was a whole story arc on its own, right? I mean, that was an, an awesome demonstration of lightning in a bottle and what this type of technology can really enable. Um, mm. And so, you know, where do you see the state of play to earn today? You know, is the idea dead, essentially, right? And, you know, if it is or if it isn't, where does the Web3 gaming economy kind of evolve from here? Do you, do you see it going in any specific direction? I think it's going to go in a lot of different directions. I think the kind of proclaiming play to earn as dead, I I, I, I think is a little bit... Uh, I think if play to earn had a voice, it says the rumors of my death have been much exaggerated would be... Uh, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I, I get it. I get the criticism of, of, of like play to earn and this sort of this, all these arguments that we hear over the semantics of how to, how to phrase this. I mean, for me, uh, you know, I only had this conversation there recently about how, you know, I would sometimes maybe think about classifying this more as like blockchain gaming. Right. I, I don't think that like these kind of taglines of play to earn or play to own. I mean, some of this stuff is all, like I said, it's kind of like sticky semantics that are kind of sure. fairly meaning. meaning. I, I mean, I see this kind of being like, okay, blockchain based games. And I think eventually like, we're just going to see it's like games that just happen to use. And we don't even need to see the, you know, it's just like these ones happen to use like this tech behind it. I mean, I suppose like, again, like blockchain games for me would be a good way of looking at it. Um, some might kind of have like more, clearly um, designed economies and some might like not have any, you know, you might not be able to extract value out of some future games, but then there's always, you know, as of right now, like theoretically you can't extract value from Fortnite, but that doesn't stop right. people making loads of money on Fortnite, you know? So like there's all kind, you know, I think, um, We'll definitely see like the we'll see like a lot. I think we are seeing like a lot of uh, move towards like a kind of Web 2.5 approach. You know where we're seeing games that are really trying to zoom in on the, you know the the play as opposed to the earn piece. But I mean, for me, some of the most tantalizing and exciting stuff is those games where like right, okay, we'll we'll design this game in such a way so that the ownership piece should lead to some ability to earn maybe. And you know, I think that. Me personally, I, I try not to get too involved in these kind of semantic-based arguments of should it be play to earn, play and earn, play for fun and maybe earn. Um, me personally, I just think I prefer to sometimes call it blockchain games. Do you know? I, I, and, I've written about that before where I, I wish we would stop calling it all these things and I, I would just call it games, right? At the end of the day, these are just games, you know, yeah. like in, in, in traditional Web2 gaming, no one asks whether your backend database is like a SQL database or it's some other like separate service <laughs> setup. Like no one cares. It's not important. It's an underlying technology. So I, I agree with you. I think, you know, some of these really interesting ownership structures that may emerge where, you know, ultimately maybe you earn, right? Because you spent 10,000 hours grinding 
grinding and you've got the best sword that anyone's ever found you can kill things faster great maybe you can earn right but it's hmm. uh it's definitely going to be in my opinion also like a, a spectrum of different results that we come out of, of uh, out of this start here yeah and i'm seeing a, i mean obviously we're seeing a lot of move towards like skill-based games right. um you know i think some of the kind of passive earning some of the ideas are like you know passively being able to earn is you know clearly has like some sustainability issues so we are seeing a lot of move towards skill-based gaming but that that makes sense and i think that some of this was just you know experiment you know like we we were at such an experimental phase now we're seeing you know games coming into the space are much more like they're actually games you know as opposed to just big kind of like uh, gamified DeFi experiments um and i think that's really positive for the space and i mean one one kind of way of phrasing it that I always love to say to people to kind of put it into of like just how early and just how exciting this space is. Look at the amount of capital that has flooded into this space, primarily off the back of one single game. But like you know, if you look at YGG, most guilds out there that have tokenized and a whole slew of infrastructure and all these different projects, and they've raised probably at this point billions of dollars uh, mm-hmm. between all of them, and all of this has primarily become of one game that was never even available on the App Store, never even available in the Google Play Store, and it was a big breakout success. What will happen when we see uh, a tr- like a like a truly a game that actually starts getting real? web 2 adoption and the web 3 adoption occur like that scares me like it's like it gives me it gives me it gives my hair tingling but like it it really is exciting to think about what will be the repercussions of a like a real success and that's not to say that like you know games so far haven't been successful but like in real world terms like how many like we've seen some big like daily active user numbers but you know, have these necessarily been like web two hits? I think when we see that's this right. kind of like uh, web two, web three crossover hit, that's gonna that's gonna be something to see. <laughs> I think the implications of that could just be absolutely mind blowing. And uh, again, I've I've had this conversation quite a few times. I, me personally, it's really a case of a when, uh, not an if. And w- what's even more scary is like, look at the impact of one game. And then we're saying, what about one more? But what about a world where we have like five or 10? Oh yeah, and by the way, now that you can suddenly start using these assets across the different experiences, uh, it's like, wow, okay, this is the me- that is the metaverse. And I mean, it, I, it's I think hugely the term, exciting. I think the term metaverse is horribly used sometimes by some projects saying, oh, I'm building a metaverse from, from my understanding and my definition. I know it's a very personal thing for a lot of people, but my understanding of what the metaverse is, is a true evolution of the internet into a far more ubiquitous uh, experience that has all these kind of components built into it that forms this kind of uh, massively interactive experience of a kind of, uh, of, of what we currently you think of as the internet but will in the future be this uh really interesting interconnected uh experience of all these uh different worlds i love that you brought that up because it, it is you know uh we, we've chatted about a couple of the big hypey terms here right play to earn metaverse right i do think most of these roll over into something that looks like you know just standard definitions again it is basically the internet, except now you own things, right? And so as we move away from the hyper-marketing, I think that some of the Web2 people come back into the fold, they 
be less offended by the NFT verbiage and you know some of the techno babble that we've applied broadly to the space. And then just like you said, that's when you get these really hair-raising enterprises where you have Web 2, Web 3 crossover, both players interacting together, and there's some form of ownership opt-in structure. And that's going to be like a very, very powerful engine driving the whole space forward. Which, I mean, even to this end, just to hypothesize for fun here, you know, if you were to, you know, be designing one of these games, right? Is there, you know, any key little feature or any, you know, neat little loop that has been, you know, in the back of your head and you'd be like, wow, like I'd love to see that in a game sometime? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, depending on the type of game, I think there's a whole range of different kind of, I've stored from all the conversations over the months, uh, and at this point, like, year and a bit of of time that I've been speaking to games, I definitely file away certain kind of mechanics. Some of the ones that really stand out to me is obviously, you, you know, a lot of games wonder, like, okay, how can you drive value to an asset that doesn't kind of break a game? Um, and sometimes there's like separating like statistical ability of an item from the kind of the earning potential of an item so this can be a scenario like some people say oh well how can i make an fps where like people are dri- why would people want to buy a gold ak-47 when and it's like well you know oh maybe it's going to shoot better and get kills faster it's like well that would just break the game and make it horrible so the kind of obvious answer to this is uh, I, I mean there was a time where it was like people really racked their brains about this but um from it was quite clear you just separate the financialized components and the like the game stats components so it's like okay well if there's sam and saratobi playing at an fps arena sam has the uh bog standard ak-47 and i have the gold ak-47 you you kill me uh you earn nothing i kill you i earn something very small uh thus incentivizing the ownership of that asset um through a financial mechanism you know so that that's a good mechanic to see. Uh, I definitely think, though, that having a free-to-play component is important. You know, I think we've seen within, you know, Fortnite, within some major games that kind of leverage free-to-play really successfully, that um, it can be a great way to drive user acquisition. Um, And, yeah, there's there's lots of other kind of uh, mechanisms which I like to see. I mean, obviously, uh, one that's kind of relevant to you guys is obviously, like, many games are, you know, building lending natively within them. So I think the ability to lend assets is is hugely meaningful as well, especially to kind of legitimize the kind of, in in essence, like, what, what has been known as the kind of scholarship model, but doesn't necessarily always have to be that. I mean, you know, in, in kind of large-scale MMO games, you know, the the ability to, you know, some of these want to have the idea of like, oh, I'm a king or I'm a spacefaring lord or, or something like this. And in those kinds of games, like, you'll never be able to play with all the assets that you acquire. So I think, like, lending as a tech is, like, hugely meaningful and important within... Yeah, I actually... I really like that point because you're you're totally right. Even in a Web 2 capacity, right? Like, my World of Warcraft bank is completely full of stuff that I will just absolutely never use. You know, in my... In EVE, I have tons of spaceships. Yeah, the, the ability to actually spread those out amongst other players, hugely, hugely powerful. Um, and these idea of ownership... Is, is fun to talk about within this context just because it hasn't been, you know, so obviously possible up to, you know, until today when we can prove, you know, on a public ledger, you own this asset, you know, you can transfer and trade this asset. Everybody agrees on the terms of the asset before it was just centralized databases. And so this bit of blockchain really enables that. Super, super cool. Um, 
And so, uh, so Toby, as we kind of come to the end of this, this has been super fun. I really like this one. Uh, you know, as an active participant, you know, you are building certain Web3 ventures, you know, you're participating in all these different things. Do you have any words of advice for folks who are trying to build in the same vein, right? Whether they're trying to build a Web3 game or a guild or anything around there, do you have any, you know, neat nugget of wisdom that you could pass on to folks? Yeah, um, gosh, that's a that's an interesting uh, question. I mean, I think uh, it, I suppose it depends on what you're trying to do specifically. But like, just keep your eyes and ears open. Don't ever feel like you have to be completely married to like. If if you if you you know, I think we've seen a lot of games you know react to a development. So you know. You know, Axie blew up. Suddenly, we see all these two token economies. Don't don't be afraid to shift or change and redesign within reason. I mean, obviously, I know that can be in the gaming world can be really challenging. But like, be fluid with your identity to some degree. And if that means like you know, sitting going back to the drawing board and you know, as long as your budget allows, um, being able to redesign things, you know, if you find a fatal flaw, like don't like sometimes like pushing ahead with some, you know, th with this is serious stuff, potentially we're talking about like, you know, a lot of people are, you know, placing a lot of faith in, in, in studios and, uh, you know, some of these kind of give themselves these kind of hard dates of, Oh, we're going to be launching on this date. And, but like, if you can clearly see that, like there may be flaws in your models, like from my understanding, and this is the same across guilds or across, you know, as we see regulation change, I think we, you know, be fluid, be able to change because, you know, the space is moving so rapidly that, um, you know, being too pick headed about this is what I'm going to be. And, you know, this is what as this was what was in our white paper. We have to be this thing, and we have to do things exactly like that. Don't be afraid of change. Be fluid. I love that. Yeah, being super nimble in Web three appears to have been working for the builders so far to date. <laughs> so I would I would definitely encourage people to take that to heart. Um, so Toby, thanks a ton for coming on today. This was a bunch of fun. We absolutely have to do this again, uh, folks. If you uh, do not already follow him, please do follow him on Twitter and go check out Yield Guild Games if you're not familiar with it. Uh, but with that, Sir Toby, we'll we'll see you around. Okay. Thanks so much.